0: Empire of the Sun. Suns. Sons.
1: Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book.
0: Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast.
1: Empire of the Suns.
0: podcast my name is kellen olson joined as always by kevin zimmerman hello kevin hi
1: how was that presser for you it was a press conference that's for sure that's what it was they spoke to the press frank vogel spoke to the press
0: yeah we are coming to you on tuesday afternoon frank vogel officially announced as the head coach earlier this morning uh, of the phoenix suns has a press conference that was a press conference and matt ishbia i think and this is not me tooting our own horn, but there was more to learn from Matt Ishbia's uh, interview on Burns and Gambo uh, that we had on the air uh, on Tuesday afternoon. We'll, we'll get into that as well. Uh, a bit of news and just catching up in general. Kevin Young is back. He is now the highest-paid uh, assistant coach. Ishbia said, "Like we're, we're paying top dollar," and went back to his principles that he outlined at the at his own introductory press conference. Ishbia did. We're just like, well, we'll pay what where we need to pay. And the, the good thing is they're going to be able to make luxury tax payments. But that's about <laughs> it in terms of where he's going to be able to really throw his money um, at things to make the team better. And the coaching staff is one for I joked, but not really joked last episode that we don't have a salary cap for coaches for now. Um, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. But for now, at least in the league, you can sure pay his coaches as much as you want and and that's what he did not only bringing in Kevin Young but bringing in David Fisdale as well Fisdale in terms of his reputation right now I would say that He's someone where if he was hired as the number two to an assistant coach or as a he- to a head coach, you would not, along with like, yep, that sounds about right. He went into a front office role with Utah, kind of kicking back and kind of doing some things, uh, a thing that coaches tend to do from time to time, and just kind of take a step back, but also have a gig in the NBA still while they're kind of relaxing and being out of the coaching cycle. But he's immediately back in. He worked under Vogel for a year in LA, but most notably was the head coach of the Grizzlies and the Knicks. Most of his um, resume and reputation comes from his time as an assistant for nearly a decade, I want to say, for Eric Spolstra in Miami. Those big three teams have won two championships. He was there for that as well. So the staff is, at the top of it at least, is filled out. We'll see who else is on it. We don't have an announcement on that just yet, but the staff is complete. We heard from Frank Vogel today, and we heard from Matt Ishbia today.
1: Where do you want to start? I guess we should start with Frank, right? I mean, of things to learn, I, I guess the big thing for me was how, and you don't think of Frank Vogel being like super aggressive or confident, but everything he says is very, like, he understands expectations. He is actually really good at talking a big game about himself, which I never think of when I think of Frank Vogel, because he's kind of soft-spoken. And I I guess He said Matt Ishby's name a lot. And that's where you kind of say, if you want to be optimistic, all right, he's buying into this team and this, you know, the roster, obviously, for obvious reasons about who the players are who are gonna be here. But like the Suns have a good reputation, and I think that's where this is going for me, is he saw it as a good job. He saw the ownership as good and supportive, and he spoke multiple times about vibing with them, like I'd have to go back and listen to Monty's press conference where his I think a lot of it was like being reassured by the owner that this is a good situation. Um Igor's I don't remember how much he spoke about Robert Sarver, but that was a little different to be like, I vibe with the new owner, his energy, his commitment to winning mm. and um Wolf and Luke asked Frank also after his main press conference, like, hey, how do you, are you concerned about the the owner being a basketball guy? And he actually said, no, like, we actually have a lot in common because I kind of came up under Rick Patino on Kentucky's staff. And then, obviously, Izzo and Ishpia have a close relationship now. So they actually have a lot of commonalities. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And um, just everything right now is going to be about communication and buy-in. And that's how you get where we'll get into it later in other podcasts. But the roster is not going to be easy to build, but when you do have opportunities to outbid and outdo other teams, um, it, again, to your point, coaching staff pay a lot of money, get a lot of minds in there. Um, and they can get more out of a limited roster. And I think that's where this all comes down to. And it's going to come down to again, that communication. Communication. Yeah, <laughs> there is a uh, communication. Look, it, I,
0: I joked it just it's a press conference, you know, like I was talking about this with an employee from the team afterwards. And these events are only so much that you can read into. It's like, did they win the press conference or whatever? All you want to get, I think, in my opinion, at least, or all I'm looking for is for myself to understand what you're about and what you're going to do with the team. Yeah. And he made that clear. He, he came out with the line of like, we're going to be scrappy as hell. Uh, James had a really good quote about the Miami, Indiana series and just the type of physical play that they would have on the floor. Indiana would, but then noted how Vogel is really not that type of guy overall. Like his, it's not a matter of his personality matching what the team is, which kind of, I think speaks to a whole is how he is as a coach and how we've learned at least uh, from afar, how he is as a head coach so far and then our very initial impressions of him. But outside of that, it's a press conference, of course. Twitter is reacting to the DeAndre Ian quotes and being like, uh, "There's some people saying this absolutely means that he's not going anywhere, and there are some people that believe he's absolutely um, <laughs> traded. getting traded because of these quotes." And what is Frank Vogel supposed to say? Yeah, he sucks. We're going to trade him. He's not going to be here much longer. I don't care about him. I'm looking more at free agent fives. Yeah. Or what is he supposed to say for Chris Paul? <laughs> yeah, he's the future in the corner. So like, it's like you have to, you have to just expect those types of answers to come in. And I'm not saying that he was being dishonest about his answers. I believe he was giving us his true thoughts on both those guys. He spoke with Wolf and Luke about Chris Paul. He spoke at the press conference about DeAndre. And I believe those are his true thoughts about it. But with that being said, don't read into those and go, Oh, that means they're staying or that means they're going. So yeah, it's a press conference at the end of the day. Um, You can get, you can kind of be discouraged by an opening press conference. I think the example you and I talk about all the time is like Sirianni in Philly. (laughs) Everyone was panicking because this guy was sweating out of his suit and just was completely ill-equipped to handle that kind of moment, and everyone was panicking, and then he quickly establishes the Eagles as one of the best franchises, like restores them pretty much in prominence and leads them to being maybe like the best overall program in the NFC running right now. So, And then on the other end, like Earl's press conference was fantastic. Like he was saying every single right kind of thing that this team needed and everyone was nodding along like, yes, this is exactly what they need. Is this type of no-nonsense type of coach who is going to be delicate and develop guys, but at the same time develop thick skin on them as well with his coaching style, and then we all know how that ended. So I I, I think it's just something that we shouldn't react too much to. It was interesting to hear from Ishbia on Burns and Gambo. Because he kind of not kind of he he confirmed a couple of different things he confirmed that they had five finalists uh he confirmed that he was there for those interviews, and then he he said that Vogel was the quote unquote obvious choice uh they made the decision I think in terms of tea leaves and reading into the reporting cycle and how things are going. I think it's notable that he said they made the decision on Tuesday because the report didn't come out until Friday, yeah. so there was a whole three day break, so in terms of if you're one of those people reading, like how leaks are coming out and how things are like secured and stuff, uh, holding on to something like that for three days is a pretty good indication that they've got a handle on things with a couple of new faces and new voices involved. He was asked about DeAndre and just like that factor playing into Vogel at all, and he denied that and said it did not. Vogel did not appeal to us just because of DeAndre said it doesn't matter really who Vogel coaches more or less. That's what he was saying. And then it didn't sway the decision ultimately. Like, it's not like it was 50-50 between Vogel and Kevin Young. And the reason why Vogel got it ultimately is because he's a, be- a coach better equipped to handle DeAndre. Now, that's the quote that everyone should read into if anyone wants to read into a quote. But I, I'm not going to choose to either. He said Kevin Young was right there in the search, did really well, and said a lot of what Vogel said today on him, which is, Everyone knows he's going to be a head coach in the near future and we're thrilled to have him. And then more importantly, uh, near the end of his interview, Ishbia went on to say that Durant and Devin Booker were in the loop. He made sure to distinguish that they were not making decisions by any means, but they kept them in the loop on what was going on and got their thoughts and feedback on candidates and what they were thinking and all that kind of stuff. So all sounded gravy on that front.
1: Do you think that, this will quell the like, is James Jones in charge stuff? Because I no. think I'm I think that it does appear James is handling a lot and they put him up there on the podium with him, but also like Mattishbia, like it's great that he's he's open and honest about his involvement. I don't know. It that stuff's interesting to me because James ultimately should feel comfortable to make decisions. And it's still a lot of noise. And I don't know if that's bad or good because if they're all talking internally and that's where I go back to, I know it's a buzzword communication, but my opinion didn't
0: change. Listening to the interview. I still have like my stance that he's fairly involved, if not the ultimate guy who says yes or no. And everyone always gives a classic line of, well, when you pay $3 billion or something, you're going to want
1: to decide what happens. It's like, Oh, well, (laughs) <laughs> i guess it's okay it, it just it doesn't clarify
0: how if i buy a keyboard company for 300 million dollars i'm not going to be deciding <laughs> on keyboards i have used keyboards a lot i'm very experienced with the keyboard You're very but that wealthy doesn't, doesn't mean scenario. i know yeah the ins and outs of the keyboard business yeah you know what i'm saying. You'll be like, I really like this keyboard that you I'm made. I'm going to listen to my top guy who's been, been in the keyboard business for, 20. <laughs> for a long time and knows the keyboards far better than I do, despite, again, like I've used a keyboard a lot. You're a very
1: experienced, yeah. You my words keyboards. per minute? Woo! Watch out now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good That's a good way to put it, too. I just looked for a random object around the room until I settled on something that... You yeah. game, you work on a keyboard, you're on a keyboard, around a keyboard, you know keyboard.
0: W-A-S-D, baby, moving
1: the man around. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, that's that's where these conversations go, right, is these dynamics and learning them throughout this. So I, I think it was positive. like Yeah. Vogel, when you talk about why he got the job ultimately, like everyone kept going back to the Lakers, but going to the Magic, going to the Pacers, like he's been in very different scenarios. He's managed them well. He hasn't been run out of town because people hated him, and I think at the end of the day, that's where – you got to find comfort if you're a Suns fan is like, I don't think he, I think he's going to be really good at navigating this owner. Who's in this position and does all this involvement. He's going to be able to manage James Jones, who again, I think is a really easy person to work with probably. And then book and Katie, like, I don't think they're necessarily hard either, but um, I, I just think that he was installed over like Kevin Young, probably because he's, been in these situations before and he he's has a really really good track record of navigating personalities which there are a lot
0: i've seen a few different people make this point and i agree the more that you sit with the vogel hiring the more it makes sense and to some of what you're saying you needed someone to come in here and instill a philosophy that had a bit of tone to it and directed not direction or directive but like it was direct yeah you know and to the point and that's what he does but he is going to be able to work with the players very well I think that he is going to find quite the relief in coaching Kevin Durant and Devin Booker not to take shots at LeBron James and Anthony Davis but there is a lot of talk surrounding LeBron about how involved he is in the process and how much he dictates things on the teams that he's on as is his right in my opinion as the best player ever but yeah with that being said it does interfere with your ability to do your own job and then he had to try and convince anthony davis he was a center for unsuccessfully most of the time <laughs> and had to play dwight howard and javel mcgee instead you know like it's he dealt with some delicate stuff there, which is another which if there's any point to make from the DeAndre thing is I think it's that that he's worked with delicate players before. And I do not think that Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are delicate by any, or, or need to be treated as delicate yeah. by any means. They are far more coachable is, is the word that everyone the buzzword that everyone likes to use. And I think that that's going to allow him to get. And that goes back to a point that I've made a, for a while now about money is that. You just can't lose his pluses to make up for his minuses. one of the pluses was his rapport with the players. And the line that Vogel had was that he's got a PhD now in terms of learning how to be with stars. And I think it was kind of blended in there very nicely with what he wasn't trying to insinuate anything or say anything, but you can read into it right there and be like, yep, coaching that team on the Lakers with those two types of, like I said, delicate stars is going to put you in a better, better position. Now, that's not to say that, yes sir yes sir yes sir is all you're going to get from Devin Booker and Kevin Durant the whole time like there are going to be things that come up just like any player in any situation but I do think that he's in a much better position than like if they would have hired him after Indiana I think it would have felt a little bit more differently about this without the championship without that situation exactly and so on and so forth like he's not going to be I always like anyone who hires a Knicks head coach after they've been let go because they've been through the ringer of not only just <laughs> like that horrible organization, but also just that media landscape and expectations and just how quickly things surround you and suffocate you. And the Lakers job is kind of similar. Yeah. In that regard. So I think he's been through a lot so far. It's it's not even a ten ten and a half years I don't think is fair. Because the Indiana, like that those those Lakers years should count as double, especially him doing it through a pandemic.
1: A pandemic, uh, pandemic. Yeah, That's what the kids call it. I, the The one insightful thing I found was when Vogel talked about just taking the year off, and he really was like, "You, lots of times you jump, you lose a job, or you change jobs, and you go right into a new situation." And it, like, obviously, there's excitement in that, but you don't have a year off where not just like the family time or whatever but like just to recharge and he actually said like on your body, like it's taxing on your body as a head coach. And you just find a lot of this energy recharge batteries or whatever he said. And I think that will come across well and also like clear your mind about like how you're going to approach a new job because like, what do you do with the Lakers isn't going to work here. Like it's different problems, a different roster. He has a different coaching staff and different resources to use. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I th- the the other tidbit that kind of stood out to me was just he talked about talking with KD, and he said KD actually said I'm excited to guard up or whatever with you. And
0: that's what and, we talked about last episode, right? Like I I said when that wojo notification goes off, all the players now understand the type of basketball
1: they're about yeah. to be playing. So I think that's I'm not surprised that KD would say that, but I think that's kind of the picture of what this hire paints when you're talking about the guys who are going to be being coached by him
0: what do you think about what do you hmm. <laughs> Trying of think how to phrase this how do you read into what the coaching tree the coaching breakdown now is because i yeah. think that there is a i was talking to our good pal lindsey smith earlier and the way that she put it is, and, and I think the way I, – I don't think this is what Lindsay was flat out saying was her opinion, by the way. But you can interpret it in certain ways. as like there's like three head coaches, basically, mm-hmm. just based on the amount of experience there that Fisdale has, but also just how prominently involved Kevin Young was in the search and how it seems like he was the runner-up, basically. How do you read all of this? And I'll, I'll be short with my mine and say – This is still going to be Frank Vogel's team. It's not like their co-head coaches, him and Kevin Young. like You do offense. You do defense. It's going to be Frank Vogel's offense still, but it's going to have a lot of what Kevin Young does in it, or at least you you would hope. How much are you reading into it? Because I I don't think people understand how that dynamic works. Just because you hire Kevin Young doesn't mean you run Kevin Young's offense. It's going to take a certain level of buy-in from the head coach himself to... Allow it to be that, but that again, that was some of what Monty did. Like Willie was running the offense more or less. Like it's he's Monty said it himself. The year Willie got hired, is like you can. Some people might say that Willie's borrowing our stuff. It's like Willie helped come up with that stuff. Like, yeah, a lot of that off that offense is just as much him as it was me. He didn't directly say that last part,
1: but what do you think about the dynamic as a whole? I think it allows just from what we know so far, and he did say like I have to fill out my staff before we assign roles but i think when you know the top three guys it allows frank vogel to be more figurehead and i don't want to use the herm edwards ceo analogy over from asu's tenure there because that didn't end well but i think it does allow frank to really focus on the leadership stuff and like maybe take in more from like if kevin young has this great idea about you know crashing the offensive boards more he'll take that in and ultimately make the call and he has more ideas thrown at him and again going back to like how tough this roster build is going to be I think that's important because they need to have lots of different challenging ideas where not everyone agrees and then he's going to have to make the ultimate call and I think that's where this comes in where like yeah Kevin Young's going to be probably more offensive but he also has continuity and knows how guys react and can give the insight of how players both personally and on the basketball court are going to react to things. And same thing with Fisdale, where he's probably a different personality and they can all kind of give Frank a lot of feedback. And I think that's good at the end of the day. Like that's why you pay a lot of money to have really good assistant coaches and one thing I always go back to, and this is like my my example is like when Mike Stoops had a good football team at the University of Arizona, was he had two coordinators. One was his brother, Mark Stoops. One was Sonny Dykes, who both, by the way, have become really good, better head coaches in college football. They were both on his staff, and they had a really good team. Both of them got promotions elsewhere. He just didn't hire anyone from outside, mm-hmm. and that really killed his tenure, and I've seen sure that. Sure did. Same thing with Herm Edwards. Maybe this is more a college football thing, but same thing with Monty when he lost Willie Green. I thought they lost something. And and so I think when you get a starting point here, that's a really good starting point is that's how big of a deal these assistant coach hires are, and I think that goes a long way in their success.
0: Yeah, back to my is it, it a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing overall, but there's just questions as to much as to the dynamic and how exactly it works, and we'll try yeah. and keep up with it as much as we can i think that's it pal uh i'm going to begin working up a mock off season project of fake trades and fake signings that i'm usually not a fan of that kind of exercise but there's so much intrigue there's so much clear are they going to trade this guy are they going to and just wonder into what exactly the roster is going to look like and I'm going to be working through something next week, and I think we'll talk about it on the podcast, look at some of the fake trades I came up with, look at some of the fake signings that I came up with to kind of uh, roll us into off-season mode purely because then I c- draft is the 22nd or 23rd? I couldn't tell you. I want to say it's always on a Thursday, so that it would be is. the 22nd. Uh, that would be the week after that would be the week of the draft. So
1: do you? I was going to throw you this real quick. I think the draft pick that they have, which is 52nd overall, could actually be very important. Do you agree?
0: Yeah, and part of what we're going to talk about next week is I think that if they can squeeze out a second round pick in the 30s or high 40s, uh, they should really try and do that because just a lottery ticket basically, but it would be you can hit. We've seen it. You can hit You can hit on guys that can play for you right away. Yeah, Christian Brown was a late 20 selection and he's playing in the NBA finals right now and he's playing in the NBA finals because he's good. Yeah, he's not playing because they absolutely have to have him out there. Like they're in some injury riddled position. It's like, nope, he's just one of their eight best players right away. We'll talk about that next week, though. Bye, everyone.